Ronaldo storms off in a huff, Kepa makes the greatest comeback since Lazarus, and is the Super League really back on the agenda? I'm Dan Burke, this is the One Football Podcast, and I'm joined by Matt Froelich. Good afternoon. And Alex Mott. Hello. Good afternoon. So yeah, we are recording uh, just after Liz Truss has resigned as the uh, Prime Minister of the United <laughs> Kingdom. Either you fancy throwing your hat in the ring to be the next leader? I reckon I might last more than 44 days, to be fair, <laughs> if I did. Was that it? I saw someone point out it was one less than, than Brian Clough at... Um... I yeah, think it might be the same, same, the same day, yeah. 44 days, yeah, same, yeah, yeah. One less than so, Brian Clough and 10 more than Steve Coppel at Man City, so uh, yeah. at least you outlived him, I guess, yeah, yeah. I, and I, I, I hardly, I can hardly see a movie being made like The Damn United in a, in a few years' time about this trust, so, yeah. Well, I saw people making jokes like, oh, is she going to take on an unfashionable club next and take them to the uh, the European Cup or something, or unfashionable country, someone was like, Denmark, she'll win the World Cup with Denmark or something, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, honestly, usually football Twitter grinds my gears, but at a time like this, it's quite amusing. Yes, what a shambles of a country we are. Uh, I was going to say proud to call home, but I don't even know about that anymore, to be honest. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, none of us live there now, so... Exactly, exactly, yeah, yeah. I'm curious, Matt, I wanted to ask you something completely aside from the Liz Trust thing. Do you get upset by Spurs defeats? You know, Spurs lost at Man United last night. Is that Ooh. something that, like... Because, you know, like, the Liverpool... I've been in a bad mood all week because City lost at Liverpool the other day, but you just seem to kind of take it in your stride. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I try not to let it get me too down because you're just giving the enemy more firepower. Lewis actually says this sometimes. He always goes, oh, Matt, it's no fun joking with you because you do it to yourself. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's the point, Lewis. If I yeah. make fun of myself and Tottenham, then you haven't got any ammo. Um, it, it, it does annoy me, but there are certain things that I reluctantly accept uh, as a Tottenham fan. And losing away to the rest of the big six every single season is something that I... I resign myself to unfortunately so Fair enough. I'm not too annoyed about As, about last night it's very grown up of you sorry Dan, has that changed now that you win more? When when City were in the third division, did you did you care as much, or did it ruin your week as much? No, I, I, I get. I guess I got used to it then. But I mean, I think when when I was a kid, it used to affect me more. And now when I'm an adult, I'm a bit less like that. But I mean, I was going to say commiserations to you, Alex, for Oxford United's uh, defeat to Sutton in the, the Papa John's <laughs> Trophy. I assume that ruined your week. Yeah, didn't it? any <laughs> any win is a bonus for me. That's how I look at it, really. So yeah, but but that 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 is that is true though, because when I when I was watching Spurs as a kid and, you know, there were the, the 14th place finishes under Glenn Hoddle in 2003 and stuff like that. Mm. It was kind of like every win would be such a massive boost to your week, you know, as a kid. And the, the defeats were sad, but they were quite commonplace. Now, it seems that for the majority of the matches, Spurs, and you're probably the same in Manchester City, if you win, you're just matching expectations. And if you lose, you're gutted. It's awful, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's no real the highest of highs when when you're so used to being at the top. So I think maybe that's part of it too. I just try not to let let it let it uh, yeah let it affect me. Otherwise, my girlfriend will be annoyed that I'm annoyed. So <laughs> yeah. I just got to put on a brave face for her, if nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I uh, I went to a match last night that I'm going to talk about a bit later on, uh, which uh, which gave me a, a glimpse of kind of the other side of football fandom and how, uh, you know, what it feels like to not support one of these big super clubs that wins all the time and uh, everything's a disaster when you lose and to actually kind of like properly support a club. But a bit of a trailer for later on that. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that. Nice. Um, before we get stuck into the nitty-gritty this week, just a reminder that if you want to get in touch with the podcast, uh, the email address is podcast at onefootball.com. You can also tweet us at Dan at Matt underscore Froelich. He still hasn't changed it as far as I'm aware. <laughs> uh, <laughs> at Alex J. Mark, but don't expect to get a response from him because he doesn't look at it. And uh, no. 
Definitely. Yeah, we've got uh, a couple more good listener questions coming up later in the show as well. Uh, but we're going to start today with Man United 2 Spurs nil, which took place at Old Trafford on Monday evening. Uh, Matt, I was out last night. I didn't see the game. I have seen the highlights, so I'm going to lean pretty heavily on you on this one. What happened to Spurs here? Were they, were they quite poor? I, I don't know, but I'm annoyed and it's ruined my week. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it was, yeah, it, it was very poor. I think... Spurs have been poor in recent weeks and the results have sort of covered it up ever so slightly. All the worst facets of Spurs' play were on show, though. Conte spoke about it after the game, saying you've got to be ready for a war. Spurs weren't. They weren't aggressive enough in anything. Uh, you can't be making mistakes and they were, they were littered with mistakes. The, a, a weird question that I thought to myself was, when players are in the squad uh, are talked about being experienced, right, it struck me as experienced in what exactly? Because, for example, Harry Kane, <laughs> who's been there for the longest time, is experienced in losing at Old Trafford. <laughs> I, I think there's been two wins in his time there. The majority of these players are experienced in losing in the top games. And I just found it quite odd that Conte talks about the big players, the big moments, and this, that, and the other. Um, but it just seems that everything that could possibly go wrong in terms of putting in a poor shift individually as a defensive unit, attacking unit is the, on the whole, happened. And Spurs were left with no chance. But I think from the flip side, that I don't want to take away from United who put in such a brilliant performance. Mm. I think they were so, so good. I was really impressed with Sancho and Anthony. Very direct, very sort of unshackled, I think was the word that I was thinking mm. of. Um, especially Rashford too, that was a pep in their stepped um in their step and overall from Ten Hag's point of view they seemed to know what they were doing um which is yeah a lot more as as than what happened to Spurs and it was just it was the 352 that everyone was calling out for and it bore absolutely nothing so disappointing <laughs> yeah the 3-5-2 that kind of worked so well against Everton at the weekend wasn't it that, that mm. was the switch in tactics that kind of changed the game and he, he starts with that formation and uh, now it's kind of back to the drawing board he yeah. was saying actually that uh, Conte was saying that uh, Spurs tr- struggle against high level opposition do you think that's right Alex and uh, I mean that's Conte's job to sort of sort that out isn't it He's, uh, I don't really well, feel yeah, too comfortable was, with him calling his players so- out for that yeah, he's sort of telling on himself a little bit there, isn't he? I, mm. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm just trying to think back to the games that they played against the bigger clubs this season, and I can't, maybe Matt can correct me, but I can't really remember them playing that well in any of them at all. I nope. think yesterday's game was pr- was probably the nadir of that, I thought. And I thought they were as good as Man United were. I, well, I'm actually going to say the opposite of that. I thought Tottenham were terrible. <laughs> um, I just there was no sort of urgency in their play. They just looked a bit lost, really. Which, I mean, you can say a lot of things about Conte, but you can never really, you can never accuse him of sort of not get, telling his players what to do and what their jobs are. And I think Tottenham, yeah, they just like I said, they just looked all at sea yesterday, and yeah, really, yeah, worrying signs for them. I think mm. going into what's going to be a pretty crucial month or so before the start of the World Cup, yeah, very, very poor performance from them. We thought. Yeah, my dad texted me last night and said uh, it's one of the first times in my life that I was glad to see United win tonight, and I said why, and he said, oh, uh, oh. Th- they've done some damage to one of our title challengers. I was like. Not sure about that. He certainly has, yeah, but uh, yeah, he's, he's wrong on that one, I think. Uh, yeah, what about United though, Matt? Um, was this their, their best performance under Ten Hag so far, would you say? Um, 
Yes and no. I, I think it was when you couple it with the result. Because there have been other games, I think they've actually been quite unlucky and they haven't really got a result, kind of the opposite of what Spurs are doing. Um, but certainly, yeah, like I mentioned, they seem to have a plan. The patterns of play were working. Uh, everything was coming off. They looked really confident. And Spurs invited it on themselves by allowing United to build up some confidence. I think, you know, Old Trafford hasn't exactly been the easiest of places to play for United in recent years. They know that a bad result and the fans get on their back, um, you know, even a, a disappointing first 45 and the fans are starting mm. to get a little bit nervous. So for Spurs to almost invite United to build confidence in the first 20 was was the building of their own downfall. But I really thought that, that United looked really good and it was quite damning, as I'm sure we're going to get on to, that it was all without Cristiano Ronaldo, so much so <laughs> that he stormed off. I really think yeah. it, if United can put together those sort of performances with those players in those positions and the team looks like more of a functioning unit, then that really is, yeah, very damning for Ronaldo. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was, I was sort of thinking last night when I was looking at, right, I was watching the game, looking at the result. I can't really remember. This is probably the best, certainly the best performance under Ten Hag, and I can't really remember the last time. United played this well for 90 minutes against a decent side. The, the only other time I could really think of was maybe Solskjaer before, just before COVID when they beat Man City at Old Trafford. That's probably the last time that they played this well for, yeah, for mm. a whole game. So, yeah, it says a lot for what Ten Hag's done in, in that the short amount of time that he's been there, really. I thought, I do think they've sort of been slowly improving every week as well obviously the Brentford game aside I don't think they've really played that badly in any game this season they've they just and with Casemiro coming in he's he's looked like someone that they've been crying out for for a long long time um yeah Anthony I mean I've had this conversation <laughs> with you already Dan but I'm not sure I think he, I don't think he's a hundred million pound player he still hasn't used his right foot <laughs> in uh, any game that he's, he's played um, and I think once defences sort of realise that, then he might be quite easy to work out. But yeah, Sancho's coming into into a bit of form. Yeah, Rashford maybe needs a bit a bit more confidence get with uh, in front of goal. But yeah, I think as a as a team as a whole, they yeah they've looked they've looked excellent. Yeah, well, uh, Ronaldo started at the weekend uh, against against Newcastle. Was brought off about, after about seventy minutes. I think it was. Didn't play. Didn't play very well at all. Didn't have much of an impact. He's an unused sub in this game, as you said, Matty. He storms off down the touchline uh, with five minutes to go. Apparently, left the stadium before the game had even finished, or um, a lot earlier than he should have done. Anyway, I mean, that's embarrassing behaviour from him, isn't it? What what um, what do you think the recourse uh, should be for that? Do you think he should sort of never play for the club again? Ooh. Never play for the club again. That would be quite a sour <laughs> ending, uh, potentially, to his Manchester United career. I, I think he's almost at the stage where he maybe has to accept his role a little bit more. Because, um, like we mentioned, it took away from the victory. And if United are putting in those sort of performances, you know, it's a team sport. Or you, can't, mm. you can't be that annoyed. It may be a little bit annoyed inside, but I think you, can be, you can't be that disappointed and show it and really take away from the work that the team is doing. Maybe it has something to do with a Ballon d'Or, you know, finishing 20th. It's clear that he's on the way down whilst, uh, I'm not saying that it's something Ronaldo looks at all the time, but, you know, Lionel Messi's having a bit of a resurgence, doing really well at PSG this season. And I don't think Ronaldo really wants this to be the end. Maybe he hasn't, hasn't accepted it yet. Maybe he just wants to be playing, you know, as much as possible before the World Cup as well. Not that his place in the squad is in doubt. Mm. But as for the course of action... 
what are you going to do? Drop him? <laughs> he's already <laughs> dropped. Um, yeah, we find him a few weeks' wages. I don't know. There's not really, there's not really much they could do. To be honest, I can't imagine them moving him on in January either, uh, with his contract running out next summer. But it would be, I'd say, not wise to have him sat around. You know, with like with a sour face for the next nine mm. months. Yeah, if it was anyone else, though, Alex, I, I, I feel like they would, they would, you know, come down hard on him for that kind of behaviour. Yeah. It's just not yeah. acceptable, is it? I. No, it's not, and I do, I do think he should be dragged across the cars a little bit, literally, publicly by ten. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I don't, I don't know if you saw what Luke Shaw said. Uh, probably it might have been earlier this week, actually, maybe Monday. He said that what he liked about the new manager was that he's picking players on form, and I didn't know whether that, which was a sort of maybe a sly dig at uh, previous managers, Solskjaer, maybe maybe Randy as well. And maybe it was a bit of a dig at Ronaldo as well. I'm not sure. And if that is the sort of feeling inside the dressing room, then I think that's probably quite a big shift. And yeah, I think that probably spells the end of Ronaldo's time at Man United, if that's the thought inside the dressing room anyway. Yeah, yeah. Last point on United before we move on, Matt. Uh, you mentioned the, uh, well, one of you mentioned the players that have... Uh, blossoming this season. Uh, I think Bruno Fernandes might be one of them. Uh, he certainly seems a little better when Ronaldo isn't there. He seems like he's a bit more confident. He's, he's sort of not enthralled to Ronaldo so much. He scored a lovely goal last night. Do you think he is better off without Ronaldo, basically? Uh, yes, in many ways, yes. But I also think it's just because the system works so well. Um, it, it feels like Ten Hag's done obvious things by putting obvious players in their position. Anthony right wing, Sancho left wing, Rashford through the middle, Fernandes, you're the number 10. You've got a good solid base behind you and Fred and Casemiro. Like, that doesn't, to me, seem like rocket science. But Ten Hag's mm. done it. There's good movement around Fernandez to the point where he can create and he knows that he's got balance on either side. He's got two inverted wingers either side. He's got Rashford ahead of him. He's got overlapping fullbacks. It seems, it seems like when they don't play to Ronaldo, everything becomes a little bit more fluid and that really suits Fernandez and his style of play. Yeah, they still need a centre forward, don't they? United. I don't think Rashford is the answer long term. But if think if they get someone good yeah. there, I think Jonathan David was talked about the other day. They could be a really good side. I always thought he was. I when when Rashford broke through, right? Do you remember he scored like a few goals in his debut, and he scored a few goals against Arsenal? I think mm. I remember thinking, I'm getting Michael Owen vibes. Shoulder <laughs> shoulder of the last man, a deadly finisher, and then he went through this whole period of him and Martial not knowing which one of them was a striker and which one of them was left wing. And they kept changing. And for me, I, I, I know as a left winger, you know, cutting inside, he's got great technique to shoot and, you know, whatnot. If you compare his wing play, so we're talking dribbling, um, crossing, link-up play with the likes of Sancho and Anthony, he's miles behind. Yeah. He, he's, he, you know, those two are far more winger wingers than Rashford is. Um, so personally, I'd like to see him, and for England's sake as well, you know, become that sort of, speed demon finisher up up front but you know um but he's he's the know. sort of striker that if if he's got four seconds in front of goal he just overthinks it mm. and misses and it yeah. that's the sort of striker is he's he's a very instinctual player in front of goal and i think if man united are the sort of team that want to build towards build towards goal in phases and and sort of get into the box then maybe that could work but if they're going to play on the break like they have been under previous managers and a bit under Ten Hag 
those sorts of movements where Rashford goes through on goal and has five seconds to think about the finish, unless he's super, super confident, you're, you're, you've seen that more often than not, he hits the goalkeeper or mm. hits it wide or, you know, it's, it, that's just, yeah, he just needs to get out of his head a little bit. I think. But if United are building a future, like surely Anthony and Sancho are the starting wingers for the next however many years. So I don't really know where that leads, Rashford. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well, interesting one to keep an eye on. Uh, a couple more Premier League points uh, from the midweek games. Uh, Brentford held Chelsea to a nil-nil draw, but that's five consecutive clean sheets for Chelsea now in all competitions. All of them kept by Kepper. What are they feeding that guy? He's been <laughs> unbelievable. I mean, that save that he made at Aston Villa at the weekend was yeah. superb. I, I don't think there's a superlative that's strong enough to describe how good that save was. It really was one of the best saves I think I've ever seen. Did you ever imagine, Alex, that his, uh, his Chelsea career would be revived, reanimated, whatever you want to call it? No, no, I really didn't. I think, obviously, he got brought in for quite a lot of money. He had his sort of mini meltdown in the League Cup, well, not even a mini meltdown, a meltdown in the League Cup final that time when uh, Sarri was manager. And then I think when Mendy was brought in, it was, I don't know, it was just sort of, that seemed like a very sensible thing for Chelsea to do. I think everyone sort of thought that perhaps it was a bit too money, a bit too much money that Chelsea played for Kepa and yeah, he, he could just be moved on. Obviously they couldn't move him on for the money that they wanted for him and fair play to him. I think it would be very easy for keepers to, or a keeper of his ability to, yeah, just sort of throw his toys at the pram a little bit and um, yeah, not fight for his place. But yeah, since Mendy's been injured, I mean, he's been exceptional. Mm. Like you say, Dan, that that save, especially at Villa in the week, was uh, sorry last weekend was yeah, absolutely astonishing. And I think that's part of his game that we always knew was there was the sort of shot stopping and the sort of reaction saves that 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 was that is never going to go away. But what's been really impressive is the way that he's sort of got sort of the confidence that he's exuding with the towards the rest of the defence. Yeah. So yeah, he's a he's probably been the best goalkeeper in the Premier League at the moment. Yeah. That's, yeah, pretty high praise with some of them there, with some keepers there in the yeah, league yeah. at the moment. So yeah, it's been amazing, been amazing. And yeah, like you say, seven clean sheets in a row. That's um, yeah, that's pretty impressive. Mm. Is a a confident Kepper uh, better for Chelsea than than perhaps Mendy, but a better goalkeeper for Chelsea because his his contribution to the build up is is really good as well, Mark? Do you think he's uh, Mendy's going to find it difficult to get back in? Ah, uh, yeah, probably, especially obviously given the de- the defensive record. But I think the way that Potter likes to play as well. Um, not necessarily pumping it long. Uh, and I think it, it really could help, especially if they like to draw teams out uh, and exploit quite a lot of space. This really could be kind of a rebirth for him, like you mentioned. I also think he's he's benefited, weirdly enough, he's benefited from his big price tag, I think. I think if he didn't cost so much, Chelsea wouldn't hesitate with selling him. If he cost yeah. 15 million and someone offered like seven, they're like, well, okay, we'll lose 8 million. It's not <laughs> that big a deal. But because he costs 70 odd, Chelsea have almost had to hold on to him to save face, basically, in the transfer market and not take such a massive hit financially that he's they've held on to him and he's taken a long time, but he's suddenly come good again. Whereas I don't think he would have been afforded that much time had he been quite easily, uh, easily sacked off for being cheap. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, and Chelsea, that's uh, that's seven matches unbeaten since Graham Potter took charge. They haven't been blistering yet, I would say, but they are. They're certainly moving in the right direction, looking pretty good. The hosting Man United in the Premier League on Saturday, Alex. How do you think that one's going to go? It's two good managers, two very tactical managers. It could be a really fascinating game, couldn't it? Yeah, I think 
this could go one of two ways, really. This could they could sort of cancel each other out of, out a bit, and it could be um, one for the purists. Or if there's an early goal, it could sort of blow open the game and yeah, be a sort of high scoring draw. But yeah, I think it would be a draw. I think these are two good teams, sort of yeah, like you say, building towards something. Not quite there yet, but yeah, I think it will be it will be a good game. But yeah, I'm going to go for a two two draw. That's exactly what I've predicted as well. Actually, yeah, yeah. There you, there go. you go. Great minds think alike. Uh, I just wanted to mention uh, Miguel Almiron who scored Newcastle's goal uh, in their 1-0 win over Everton on Wednesday Um, we perhaps all remember the uh, the viral video that was going around at the end of last season during City's title parade when uh, Jack Grealish had had a few few too many shandies and was uh, comparing (laughs) Riyad Mahrez's performance on the last day of the season to Almiron in a quite disparaging way Uh, Almiron's got five goals now this season uh, which is more than Jack Grealish has scored in his whole time at City so uh, I think that's that's a pretty pretty good bit of revenge that isn't it really yeah Yeah. (laughs) lovely goal though gotta say yeah yeah, brilliant goal yeah do you rate do you rate Almer on Matt uh he seems to be one of these players that has come alive in a better system Mm. uh it would appear to me I'm not quite sure it's obviously difficult to find your feet when you come to the Premier League um and Steve Bruce is your manager yeah, and Steve Bruce, man, uh, he's physically not the most imposing. And I think he might also be benefiting from a few more flair players, I guess, around him. Um, it was kind of, uh, what, what's the term? A bit stale, I think, their, their style mm. of play and their build-up under Bruce. They really didn't benefit him. But we've seen the way he, he interlinks with the likes of Guimaraes getting forward to Maximan. You've got Joel Linton coming from midfield and Callum Wilson too. Um I just, yeah, it just feels like he is new as much as the team is new. Um, and also Kieran Trippier on the overlap as well. There's, there seems to be more direction than start to Newcastle's play. And that's really, really helped him. And I think, you know, picking the ball up in the channel and he's a very nimble footed player, he's very agile. There's no reason why he can't sort of be that, uh, be that driving force in, in the Newcastle team when St. Max Man's injured or he's not quite on it. Yeah, are you worried about Spurs facing Newcastle this weekend? I am, I am because you know I bleat on about it, and I will do it to the end of the season. Newcastle, my tip to crack the top six this season, um, to, to be the ones, whether it's Europa League or or, uh, or Champions League. I am worried. I think they very much are gelling so well as a team. They have the right players in the right positions, and it's it's one of those games where I feel like Spurs with a poor performance, like we've seen for periods of the game against Everton and Leicester, but didn't basically didn't get found out. I think they will get found out against the likes of Newcastle with some quality players in form, and that that definitely worries me because Spurs should be winning. As stupid as it sounds, if you were to plot a season out, an ideal season, Spurs should be winning every home game that isn't against the rest of the top six. Yeah. Um, if they want to be serious about things. But this is now one that I'm thinking, you know, there could be some trouble here. But in all fairness, if Newcastle do pick up a point or three points against Spurs, it won't be the last time they throw a cat amongst <laughs> the pigeons because I, <laughs> yeah. I think they're brilliant. Uh, they're, my, they're my tip for top six. Yeah, I think I think they need a result against one of the big six. Like they yeah. need to take a bit of a scalp. You know, they, they've drew with United this season. They drew with City this season, play very well. I think for their next kind of step in their evolution they need mm. a, a result like and why that, not so. good old Spurs there you go they can always rely not? on Spurs to help you out <laughs> can't oh, you yeah. Jesus. 
Uh, there's been a few, uh, well, not quite managerial switches yet, but there's a lot of talk about a couple of managerial switches in the Premier League at the moment. Uh, Aston Villa, Alex, we know the writing has been on the wall for Steven Gerrard for a little while. If yeah. they were to lose away at Fulham tonight, maybe that would be the, the final nail in the coffin for him. There's been some talk about Maurizio Pochettino taking over from Gerrard. Would that be? Uh, would he go there for a start? Do you think? I, do you know? I've seen a lot of people say that. Obviously, it would, in terms of um, league position, be a step down from Tottenham and PSG before him, before them. But I think what Pochettino wants is control. And I think if he were to go to another big club, uh, you know, whoever, I don't think he would get the sort of control that he would get at Aston Villa or would be allowed to get Aston Villa. I, I don't know. I just it seems like it would be a good fit. They've got money. They are, you know, they are a historic club that are sort of underperforming. I guess I, I guess a bit like Tottenham were when when he mm. came in. Um, I could, yeah, I could really see him doing a good job there. I mean, if not him, maybe Thomas Frank. If they wanted to protect, poach someone from the Premier League, I think Thomas Frank's done an amazing job. Would he go there? Though? Would he leave Brentford for Villa? I don't know. Maybe the promise of a bit more money to spend. Maybe he, he would, but yeah, I'm not 100 percent sure. And I saw Kjetil Knudsen, you know, the Bodo oh, Glimt manager. Wow, um, that'd be good. He was li- he was linked to Brighton before, and I just thought. I mean, they've not that I watch a huge amount of Norwegian football, but whenever I watch them play in the Europa League or the Conference League, they've always they've always been excellent. So, yeah, if Brighton want him or wanted him, then there's obviously something there. So, yeah, maybe Aston Villa could go a bit more left field and go for him. But yeah, if they if they can get Pochettino, they mm. should 100 percent go mm. for him. But with Pochettino, if if he doesn't want to get back into club football, I do think the England job is there uh, once the World Cup oh. is over. Um, and I, yeah, I wouldn't. I would like to see Pochettino as England manager. So yeah, maybe if he could hold out for a few more months, that might be good. But um, yeah, I think Villa, if he wants to get back into club football, Aston Villa would, uh, yeah, would be a good, good option for him. I think. I mean, the, the, I saw a bit of chat that maybe Pochettino wouldn't go to Villa because he's holding out for the Spurs job again. Matt, is that? I, a, I saw I mean, if, that. Yeah. A, you, you never really know with Conte what, what he's going to do next, do you? There's a chance that he might not be Spurs manager at some point in the not-too-distant future. Would you have Pochettino back if he left? Um, ooh, that's a good question. I was pretty much banking on Pochettino returning after <laughs> Nuno was sacked. Um, I, I, I thought, even actually before that, after Mourinho was sacked as well. Um, now it might be a bit of a step back, the, the reason I think it was a step back is because there are still one or two players who sort of remember the Poch days and who wouldn't necessarily kind of, you know, want to go back, been there, done that, the whole Poch, this, that and the other. Um, but yeah, I, I I would take him back if Conte left because you're right. We never know what's going to happen with Conte. There was talk that during the World Cup break, Daniel Levy would sit down and offer Conte a brand new deal, um, I think from 13 million a year to 17 million a year. Um Oh, yeah, which is yeah. A- astonishing for a manager, you know, to just to get top four. Uh, so uh, who knows if those talks go really well, then you can see Conte staying for a bit longer. But if not, it's a, it's a difficult one. I think Pochettino might be waiting a little bit longer than he would like uh, if he's holding out for the Spurs job. I think Alex hit the nail on the head, though. Aston Villa are quite literally exactly where Spurs were ten years ago <laughs> when Pochettino took over. Sorry, eight years ago. <laughs> they, 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 it, it's it's like the same club, just a different kit. 
You know, lots of history, <laughs> lots of potential, some great fans, some top quality players in there. Just need the right sort of uh, quote unquote project, the old project manager. Um, uh, they need the right project underway, and that Villa could become something good. And and yeah, it is, uh, you know, perfect. I think for Pochettino if he wants to. Um, no disrespect, but make that drop down from PSG to, to Aston Villa. And that project manager is going to be Sean Dyche. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> After all that, God, if they, I was saying earlier, if they hate Gerard football, they are going to fucking hate Sean Dyche football. Yeah. <laughs> Christ. I mean, that, that's the point, Alex, though, isn't it? If they do get rid of Gerard, they have to go for a significant upgrade, surely. Like, there's no point. Yeah. Is there any point getting rid of him and then getting Sean Dyche in? No, no, no. And I think that's potentially harsh on Dyche because he's done very well at Burnley but yeah it's not it wouldn't be very inspiring would, would it and I think half the battle is getting fans on board whenever a new a new manager comes mm. in and yeah that just that wouldn't be the case if Dyche came in so yeah hopefully I mean I'd, I I don't think Gerard's going to turn it around so yeah I think that if they can get that done sooner rather than later and get a new manager and maybe before the World Cup, that'd be ideal for Villa. Um, yeah. yeah, and that would, and I guess that would mean hiring someone that is available. So yeah, Pochettino seems like it would be the perfect fit. I don't know, maybe Bielsa if they want to really throw in a left field <laughs> appointment. But um, yeah, it all it all points towards Pochettino, I think, cause, yeah, yeah. as long as he wants D- to go. Dan threw out Thomas Tuchel earlier. Unbelievable. That would be. I'd, yeah. I'd be surprised if he would could be asked at that point of doing that. You yeah, know, but, uh, yeah, yeah. I, oh I wouldn't, wouldn't, bl- wouldn't blame him for saying no to that at all. But uh, yeah, and Liz uh, Truss, well, Liz Truss she's around. she's on the market. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, Wolves are also looking for a new manager. They've been turned down by Julian Lopetegui. Uh, they have been apparently in talks with maybe bringing Nuno back. It looked yesterday for all the world like they were going to get Michael Beale from QPR uh, QPR of course top of the championship at the moment uh, he has now turned them down the reports are suggesting today um, is that a smart move from him do you think Matt to uh, stick with QPR and uh, ride that one out a bit longer he's only been uh, he's only been in charge for 15 games yeah that's that's the thing uh, I think it is a smart decision I think he look it is his first job um, in management he's been an assistant to Gerard at Villa he was assistant at Rangers with him he was then at Sao Paulo mm. under Rodrigo Cheni Cheni oh. remember that guy that scored the, all the goals the goalkeeper yeah yeah um, so yeah it, this is his first chance of management and I think he knows that he's doing a good job I think the table reflects that at QPR he mentioned that it would be very very difficult to turn his back on this squad um, in the post-match press conference and I think there's opportunity coming along. You know, when you're starting out in your career, it's not sort of, you got to take the Wolves job, mate. It's now or never. Mm. Like, no, it's it's not now or never. You can stay with QPR so early on in your career. Take them up. And even if they don't get promoted, he doesn't get the chance to manage in the Premier League next season, there's still a learning curve to be made in the Championship. Um, you know, with so many quality teams and so many quality players, there's obviously good money to be had in the Championship as well in terms of bringing in quality players. It's such a good breeding ground that if we were talking about a player, for example, who had played 15 games for QPR and, you know, an 18, 19-year-old kid, you definitely wouldn't recommend that he move to Wolves, right? <laughs> You'd be like, yeah. no, get get as many minutes as you can under your belt in the championship with QPR. There'll be a big Premier League move in the future in two or three years once you've proved you're good enough. And the same thing goes for Beale. So, um, yeah, in, in a world full of disloyalty in football, it's actually really nice to see him stick with QPR and ride this one out, even if it isn't until the end of the season. And maybe a, an, um, an, oh, 
I was about to make up a word there. I was going to go an unturned downable offer. <laughs> <laughs> but unturned downable is not a word. Um, You've got all the endowment on us with his uh, yeah. bounce back ability there, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if there was an offer that was too good to refuse at the end of the season, maybe. But for now, I'm, I'm glad. Good for him. Good for him. Good for QPR. And it'll be, yeah, it'll be a good success story if he manages to, to yeah. take them up. Keeps it like this. He'll be a Premier League manager next season anyway. Exactly. Uh, and any thoughts, Alex, on where Wolves might turn next? I mean, there's been some talk about Nuno. I, I know the fans are very fond of Nuno for the job that he did at Wolves. I know he's very fond yeah. of the club. He was sacked, though, with the club 15th in the table. Yeah. And, yeah. and did terribly at Spurs and is now in Saudi Arabia. So it's not like... Mm. Yeah, maybe... Yeah, I, I don't know. That seems like a bit of a backwards move for mm. me. I was thinking when, when it first happened, Bruno Lage's sacking, I saw AVB was, was linked, <laughs> which... Um, I don't know. It's piqued my interest, really. Yeah. I always, uh, I always thought he was quite an interesting character. I know he went off like rally driving yeah. and then went to Japan or okay. whatever he was. So I don't know. I'd, I'd quite like to see him back in the Premier yeah. League. Whether it'd be good for Wolves or not, I'd probably not. But I would quite like to see him back, back in the Premier League. Always struck me as an interesting guy. Yeah, yeah, that would be a very left field appointment. But uh, yeah, they might and <laughs> might... Portuguese, you know. Yeah. So... Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, they might bloody well have to at this yeah. this rate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, a rather concerning story, or maybe it's not such a concerning story that's been knocking around this week, is the potential revival of the Super League. Uh, Real Madrid, Barcelona and Juventus apparently still very keen to push this through. Uh, Bernd Reichardt, the CEO who's been uh, appointed to, to kind of drive through this project, is, is even suggesting it could begin in 2024-25. Is this a bit delusional, Matt, or do you think there's a genuine possibility that this could be back on the agenda? You know what I was thinking when I saw his his first speech? I was thinking it's like when you join a new company and you're determined to make your mark, so you just agree for it with everything. That's what <laughs> yeah. it sounded like. like. He was like, well, I've got this job, so I might as well go for the Super League because otherwise I'm going to get fired or I won't have a job. So it seems like he's pushing it, and I'm not quite sure he even believes that that's possible. And if he <laughs> does think it's possible, he must not have a very good idea about the footballing landscape. Um, as it is, I think Real Madrid, Barcelona and Juve are still technically in court with UEFA. Yeah, yeah, they are, um, yeah. From the last that I read. So th- that has to be compl- concluded. And w- whatever happens in that court case, imagine if they said, right, you promise you guys won't do this again. And then like the day after they leave court, they're like, oh, by the way, it's happening again. So I can't see, I can't see that being concluded with UEFA alongside them also planning to leave again into a new yeah. Super League. Um, and yeah, they just it just feels like they don't quite have, especially from Barcelona's point of view, the power, I guess. I mean, everyone thinks they're a bit of a joke anyway with their financial <laughs> worries. Um, <laughs> I can't imagine too many clubs want to go back in and do business with them considering how good or bad they are at handling money. Um, so yeah, it seems like... It seems like a bit of an odd one, to be honest. I can't. Certainly, if things will kick off, it won't be that soon. I mean, that's that's what a year and a yeah. half just over. <laughs> yeah. Well, twenty twenty four is when the is when the new like Swiss model Champions League kicks in. So, and that yeah. was a sort of right. a halfway sort of UEFA met the super clubs halfway in terms of more big games in that what you know one big group or however it works that that new format for the champions league so i don't know yeah. that seems that does seem very very optimistic from the, uh from the new ceo the big but yeah I'd, the big selling point from him was relegation that was right. yeah yeah that i suppose yeah yeah i suppose that was, I mean, there was a lot wrong well, with yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, there was a lot wrong with it before, but the sort of it being a completely closed shop was what sort of sent people over the edge of it, really, didn't it, mm. last time? So, I mean, yeah, I I don't think this is going anywhere. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon, but I do think as long as Real Madrid, Barcelona and Juventus uh, have worries of their own, have worries about nation states owning clubs and feel like they're being... Um, put into the sort of second tier of uh, big clubs, then, yeah, I think they're always going to try and find a way to, yeah, put themselves back onto the the top, 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 top table of European football. And, yeah, I just, I really don't think this is an issue that is going to go away mm-hmm. anytime soon. Yeah, yeah, like I said, I don't think it will, it certainly won't happen in the next year and a half, but, yeah, I, I do I do worry that this isn't going anywhere, unfortunately. It's become apparent that this is the best chance for the Real Madrid's and Barcelona's and Juventus's of this world to compete with the Premier League. Basically, the Premier League is dominating so much that yeah. this is their best chance of doing it. But surely for it to work, they would need those English clubs to buy in. Like, do you think the English clubs will be daft enough to do that again, Alex? I mean, maybe some of the American owners might still fancy it, uh, but surely after the backlash of yeah. last time, they're not going to try and pull that like, stunt again, are they? Are they? I think if they if they do, it would it wouldn't be quite so gung ho as it was mm. last time. You know, it was I mean, the more you think back to it, it was remarkable, wasn't it? How quickly <laughs> how their house of cards fell in. You know, two days, even quicker than Liz Truss's Premier Trip, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that, uh, and that's saying something, <laughs> um, yeah. So to fall quite so quickly was remarkable. Yeah, I do think if they are going to try, you know, if Bowley wants to, yeah, with Chelsea and yeah, who, whatever other American owners in the Premier League want to try and get involved, then I don't know. I just, I don't know. I, I think as as long as the Premier League is keeps being the biggest product and keeps sort of bringing in money and bringing in fans then I think I don't know I think they would be mad to get involved mm. but they're already in a I super mean, league I, aren't I they that's the thing that. <laughs> well ex- yeah exactly yeah I mean I would have said that in the end of March 2021 and then look what happens so yeah honestly who knows what what's going through their minds at the moment yeah and on a, on a kind of similar note, a, a quick word on a story this week about the uh, the community shield potentially being moved uh, overseas being played overseas would you give a toss if that happened, Matt? Because I don't think I would really. I don't think it's something that's dear to my heart. The Community Shield. I think it's a bit of a waste of time most of the, most years, to be honest. Uh, well, yeah, Spurs never in it, so it wouldn't affect <laughs> me that much. Um, yeah, I, I think more the actual logistics of it and the match. Like you'd still watch it on TV and still tune in, see what happens. Mm. It's more about what it would represent. I think. Um, like it being up for auction, like it is with the Spanish Super Cup. I think that was played in was it Saudi Arabia. I yeah. believe yeah. Um, yeah, the the, Ita- the Italian Super Cup gets played in all sorts of different places, mm. um, and uh, yeah, the, the feeling of sort of packaging up every single tiny bit of English football and then selling it off to the highest bidder—it's what that represents about modern football, rather than it actually affecting me personally too much. Like, yeah, true. Yeah, like you said, it's not really. I think if it, that big a deal. if it, yeah, if it placates the call for there to be games overseas or the game 39, <laughs> then go for it. Yeah. But I just worry that once it's going to be a gateway drug that kind of worms. Is, <laughs> yeah. You can't, yeah. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. Yeah, exactly. It's been exactly. So, yeah, I, mean, I, I, I do worry where it would lead. It's just a friendly anyway, really. And they already have friendlies overseas, yeah. so it wouldn't be that mm. 
much of a diversion from what already goes on. But yeah, I, I take your point there. Alex is a non-Premier League fan. Uh, would you rather see the Community Shield or would you rather see a Premier League All-Star game taking its place? Because that's been talked about this week as well, again. I mean, there's so many questions about it. I mean, I would I would generally be quite interested to see what a Premier League All-Star game looks like. Yeah. But there's just so many moving parts that would have to like come into line for it to work I just I really and like Jurgen Klopp said when Todd Bowley initially mentioned it all those months ago when would it be played how would it be played who's going to pay if someone gets injured blah 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 blah. and like even in the all-star games in like NFL I I mean I don't know a huge amount about NFL but I do know that even the players hate playing in the like pro bowl in NFL (laughs) it's been a non non non-contest and non-event for like 20 years so to suggest it in the Premier League now, I don't know, that just seems a bit daft, really. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, like I said, I would be interested to see it, but yeah, I just, yeah, I, d- I don't think that's going to happen. I think that's a bit of a yeah, non-starter for yeah, me. Yeah, probably, yeah. Right, let's get into some listener questions then. Uh, we've had a, a follow-up email from David Aslan. Uh, anyone who listened to the show we did on Tuesday uh, will have heard David's email uh, right at the start of the show where he made some predictions about what's going to happen in football in 2037, one of which Matt and I found quite confusing. So David has written back in to clarify. He says, last time out, I sent in a prediction of what happens in 2037 and the Christian Eriksen part was in reference to some tabloid gossip back in 2019. I think they were saying Tongan was having an affair with Eriksen's wife something that both of them denied. So uh, yeah, glad to get that one cleared up. Uh, he's also thrown in another, uh, another question. He says, uh, my question is, does Pep keep in... Pep Guardiola, uh, I assume he means, keep overthinking the big games? He has a tried and trusted formula and he's blowing away teams in a strong run of form and then suddenly he just changes it up. Like against Liverpool, he played a, at the, uh, a back three. Uh, this happens every year in the Champions League. Does he not trust his players to deliver or does he have to make constant tweaks? I think this is an early premonition of how they crash out of the Champions League this season. Uh, thanks for that, David. You just made my week even worse uh, thinking about that. But yeah, thanks very much. Uh, Matt, any theories on this uh, this overthinking thing that Pep gets accused of quite a lot? I, I think it goes along with the understanding of fine margins at the very very elite level and and managers are always looking for it in any way possible right you're always looking for that that one percent that little bit extra that's going to make the difference in the big moments and I don't know maybe Pep keeps looking for them and just keeps finding the wrong answers like you you look at some of his his tactics or some of his minor switches whether it's before the match and we've seen a, a few odd starting lineups um or whether it's actually within the game or the tactics that he plays, if those come off, he's hailed as like a, a genius who knows everything down to the most minute details. Uh, and when they don't, it looks like he's a tinker man who's taken it too far. So I think it is the quest for that extra 1%, that extra edge. And unfortunately, he keeps on making the wrong decision. And as we all know, when that kind of happens a bit too often, things tend to tumble on and now it's all that anyone can talk or even think about. Um, especially when it comes to the big games. But I don't know. I wouldn't say that he doesn't trust them. He's just looking for an edge. And, you know, it's obviously a very, very, very difficult thing to do because managers and players are constantly looking for that. And it's it's very unusual that you hear about it when people don't find them as opposed yeah. to do find them. I suppose the obvious counterpoint, Alex, is that Pep never gets accused of overthinking when City win, does he? When when things go well, no, exactly. uh, it, it seems to me a lot, a lot that Pep uh, gets blamed when City lose, and when they win, it's almost like it just happened like without his input, really. And I think he makes yeah. a lot of tweaks from game to game, and some of them are brilliant, and some of them don't always work. But you know, his results kind of speak for themselves, don't they? Overall, yeah. I, I mean, he, he obviously he can't be a manager at a 
in for i don't know 10 years and not you know lose games mm. that's just not how it works and then it, yeah like you say if if he was playing the same players every single week then yeah you'd get accused of it being stale like like uh, Klopp was earlier this uh a uh, few months ago you know playing the same midfield tired you know need to get new players in blah 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 so yeah i think you're on a bit of a hide into nothing when you're a premier league manager to be honest yeah. and yeah peps Pep's the best manager of all time, arguably. <laughs> so yeah, that's you're just trying to pick very small faults. Really. It's like the, the Liverpool game the other day. I thought the system that he, he deployed was pretty good. Um, they lost the game. Obviously, could have won the game if you know a VAR decision hadn't uh, got in the way, um, and if they had won the game. And, yeah, and also like Joao Cancelo just takes a bad touch yeah. as a slip. I mean, Pep can't do anything about that, can he? That's just that's just players on the yeah. pitch. So, yeah, I think, I think that's a bit And hard. you talk about the Champions League, the irony of the uh, exit from the Champions League last season was that Pep didn't overthink it. He just played the normal team, seemed to yeah. play a very, sure, very normal yeah. tactics, and they still lost in bizarre fashion. So, yeah, he, uh, he is on a bit of a hiding to nothing, I think. Uh, another question here from... I don't know if David's ever heard of City-itis. So maybe <laughs> I've that, certainly that fucking heard of it. I've, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> another question here from... Your Geshwa, who was a City fan, actually, uh, he uh, he says, given how much sports science and the modern day footballers have evolved, does a break in play do more harm than good? Perhaps it's good for these players to play every three days to keep their rhythm going, as opposed to having a, a two week break in the schedule and then come back to start playing high intensity games all over again. I suppose this is an interesting one to link in with the, the chat around the World Cup, Matt, because uh, you know mm. we've talked about players like Haaland and Salah who are going to be off for six weeks. Is that necessarily going to be a good thing for them, though? And is it a good thing even to? have like a week off from playing uh is it better to, to keep that rhythm going oh boy yeah uh, as, as someone who's not really high up in the sports science nutrition game uh wouldn't necessarily <laughs> know but i tend to think that for the most part clubs and especially the sports scientists and nutrition and the way that every single you know micro calorie is managed they're very aware of the intensity of these players with the latest research, the latest methods, and that whether they're playing in two weeks or in three days, there's a good level of understanding of the recovery required to then go ahead and play at their best. I mean, you've seen that over the seasons where schedules change ever so slightly. Um, there are more and more games being played. I mean, didn't Liverpool make it every single possible game last season? I think they were yeah, every final less, yeah. they played. Yeah, yeah. Every single match and... They obviously have injuries like other teams do, but you know they have such an exceptional level of of coaching that they're able to manage minutes on recovery. They're able to manage intensity in training, which is something that not everybody sees because if you're just you know a football fan like us, you watch the match, you don't see what happens in training. So I think there's definite there's definite pros and cons to either having a break for the body and not having a break because you stay in form and you keep up momentum. Um, but I wouldn't say there's necessarily more harm or good in either one because they're, they're especially at the elite level, they're managed so, so well um, that it shouldn't be a problem. Like, imagine after six weeks World Cup, Haaland's but- just like the tin man and like can barely <laughs> move. Like, I'm sure, I'm sure he's going to be built on a schedule in between that gets intense at the right moment and gears him up to be hit the ground running on that first Saturday back or whenever it is. So maybe there's not too much of a problem. Well, like with playing every three days, that's that's absolutely fine. And the top clubs have, you know, they they do their training sessions and recovery around the fixture list, obviously. But you can't, and you can probably do it 
as a top top athlete for like two months you can play every three days three months you can play every three days but there comes a breaking point and where you just your body literally can't do it anymore especially at the intensity that these the top level players play at um and that's what is such a joke about this season really mm. uh, like premier league clubs are playing saturday wednesday saturday wednesday for the whole season and yeah we're just i mean already at the moment how many players are going to miss the World Cup. I mean, I can think of Kante yeah. and Diego Jota this week that are going to miss it. So, um, yeah. yeah, exactly. And over Ibala. the next month, I think we're going to yeah. see a lot, of, a lot of players that are just going to, yeah, just even if it's just like a pulled hamstring or whatever, it doesn't have to be hugely serious, but they're going to miss the World Cup just because of this schedule at the moment is just absolutely crazy. Yeah. A slight uh, addendum to that question from Yogeshwa from me is, uh, I, I was thinking about this for a while now. If you were a, a football manager of a top club, uh, would you rather have a small squad to work with where you can keep everyone happy and give them as many minutes as possible? Or is it better to have two players in every position but potentially have unhappy players? What would you rather have, Matt? Ooh, let me hark back to my football manager days and see if I can remember how I did it there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, that is a really tough one. I guess it does depend on the schedule, right? I think if you obviously if you have less get less games, it's easier to work with a smaller squad because they're not going to get as tired. I think a better squad nowadays would make a lot more sense for me. I'd like to have two players in every position. Just think the competition is good for the squad, especially if you're going further in in different competitions. You know, like we mentioned last season with Liverpool, um, and just having really good squad depth that like we see with Manchester City is such a benefit that to. To look otherwise, when you look at likes of what happened to Bielsa at Leeds, he had loved such a small squad, didn't he? And he had such killer yeah. injuries last season that it then just all fell down. So, yeah, I guess maybe that's a little bit damning for football to think that you need an enormous City-sized squad or Liverpool-sized squad, but that's the way it is. So, yeah, I'd probably say a bigger squad. I think two players for every position is a small squad yeah. nowadays. Yeah, I think it's when, it's when you've got... It's when you've got three players for every position. That's that's when it's difficult. And I think that's when managers, you know, that's when there is sort of like big internal problems. When you've got three world-class players mm. for every position, that's when it's happening. Or, yeah. or you could do a Gareth Southgate who does it to himself by apparently announcing a 55-man squad. Oh, before boy, he yeah. chooses <laughs> Surely, at what point doesn't he just say, well, everyone who's English is in contention. That would be yeah, so much I'm, easier. I'm hoping I might be in that 55-man yeah. squad, actually. <laughs> Honestly, how unnecessary. I think I think the reason he's doing it is to basically say, all of you guys have got a chance in the next three rounds of Premier League games. Show me what you've got. Because that's just, that's just obscene. That's yeah. just unnecessary. Think of all the paperwork. <laughs> Cool. It's funny you mentioned uh, football manager there, Matt, because I always remember a friend of mine when we were younger, someone accused him of having no empathy. And he said, no empathy? I feel sorry for my subs on champ- championship manager. How can I have no empathy? <laughs> <laughs> always remember that. <laughs> oh, my God. And, and you oh, can tell how long ago it was because it was still called championship manager at the time. So, yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah back in the days. Blimey. <laughs> Right, I said at the top of the show that I would tell you about the match that I went to last night, so I'll, I'll get into that now. Uh, I did mention on the podcast the other day that I was going to watch Union Berlin. Uh, we talked about them mm. the other day. They played Heidenheim in the DFB Pokal last night. Managed to get a ticket. They're not too uh, easy to get hold of these days, and it was a fantastic experience. I've actually been to watch them a couple of times before, um, but they were in the second division at the time, and 
things have changed quite a lot. You know, it's a lot harder to get a ticket now. Uh, it's a lot harder to find a decent spot on the terraces. I didn't have a great view of the game. Uh, the game wasn't fantastic, to be quite honest with you. Uh, the standard of the opposition was quite low and Union rested a few players, but the, uh, the one, the atmosphere was fantastic. And well, what I lo- well, there were two things I loved about it. First, you can drink <laughs> in view of the pitch. You- and not only can you drink in view of the pitch, there's blokes coming around with big tanks of beers on the back, filling you up every time you've got an empty cup. So you're just constantly <laughs> lashed. And I've got the got the headache to prove that today. Um, but the other thing, I mean, the, the, the atmosphere was fantastic. They were singing all the way through the game. And even at the end of the game, you know, like you go to, you go to a Premier League game, let's say you go watch City or whoever in the FA Cup or Spurs in the charity, in the, the car- car- you know, in the charity shield, the Carabao cup like you know gets to like 85 minutes people are heading for the exits trying to beat the traffic everybody stayed till the end i didn't see a one person leaving early people are singing the players are like you know doing the thing where they go to the the uh where, where the ultras are and like applaud them at the end everyone's yeah. singing and then even afterwards people are staying behind to have a drink and it's quite late at night and everyone's just like soaking it all in and it was just a great great football experience mm. so I'd recommend anybody who lives in Berlin to go and go watch them when you can. And if you if you plan on visiting Berlin, try and get a ticket because it is a it is a great club to watch. I, I think it bleeds into what we were talking about earlier, you know, with the expectations and enjoying a victory or something like this. Like Union Berlin quite clearly are have come up from the second division and they're leading the title race in, in the Bundesliga. So why wouldn't you make the most of it? Why yeah. wouldn't you stick around? Why wouldn't you not leave early, have a beer with everyone? You know, it's difficult to get a ticket. Everyone's in there enjoying this moment because they know realistically it'll be difficult to ever kind of get this run or get this this feeling almost again. Um, so yeah, absolutely enjoy every minute. So I think that's why, that's probably why more so than, you know, if you were to stay behind at, at City after an FA Cup game, you'd be like... I'm just stand by. We've just beaten Bradford four <laughs> nil, yeah, and I'm yeah. just stood here by myself because no one really tr- almost treasures it that much. Um, so yeah, good on them. Good on them, you in Berlin. Very, Absolutely. very cool to hear. Yes, and uh, Matt, I wanted you to uh, tell the listeners about what you're up to this weekend because you've got a nice little jaunt planned, haven't you? Oh, jaunt is the word. Is definitely <laughs> the word. There's been a bit of a, a rescheduling due to some strikes in Italy, but we're we're making our way there. Myself and uh, uh, Jacob, our producer at One Football, are making our way to Italy um, to head to Fiorentina against Inter Milan on Saturday night. And the good news is that everyone listening to this podcast and everyone else, if you're in the UK or in Ireland, you can watch that game for free in the One Football app. Um, so there's a little bit of a shout out as well to our app. So if you go into the match day page. Come quarter to eight, I believe it will be on mm-hmm. Saturday night. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, come come quarter to eight. You can uh, you can log into the app and for absolutely f- zilch for free for nothing. Yeah. And, and on the website as well, actually onefootball.com. And on the well. website, yeah, yeah. onefootball.com. You can watch um, Fiorentina take on Inter Milan. I'll I'll be there doing various bits as well, so you'll see my ugly mug around the side of the pitch. Um, <laughs> Doing a few videos, and I saw today actually that Robert Lukaku is back in training. And he, hasn't he is, yeah. They reckon he'll be in the squad, yeah. Yeah, since August, so it could be quite an exciting return for him. And I've just heard very good things about the atmosphere in Artemio Franchi as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah. and Florence is a beautiful city, isn't it, Alex? You've been there as well. I was there this summer. I've been there a few times. Yeah, it's a lovely place. You'll have a great time, Matt. You really will. Never been to watch Fiorentina, yeah, though. So, yeah, very I, jealous. Very jealous. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to go on the hunt for one of those old school Nintendo shirts from the 90s with Batista. Oh, yeah, oh yeah. yeah, good luck. Yeah, good yeah. Luck with that, <laughs> yeah. 
I, I well, think the, that's what I'll say. There is one of, one of the piazzas sells like fake football shirts. I bought a Fiorentina one when I was there for like 15 euros. So you can you can get them. They're, pre, they're pretty good fakes as well. He's a nice fellow, the bloke who runs it. And you've got to get, this, there's this place that does an amazing panino. Like, and I can't remember what it's called now, but they've got a few locations around town. You'll know what it is because people queue around the block for them, but it's well worth queuing up for. They're really, really, oh, really? good sandwiches. Yeah. So, oh, okay. I got my day in Florence. So I um, one of them. But yeah. <laughs> so everyone in the UK and Ireland, it's for free Saturday night. You can watch the match. Yep. Right. Well, that will do us for today then. Uh, Matt and I will be back on the podcast on Monday. Matt, you can tell us all about your trip to Florence mm. then. And uh, yeah, if you want to get in touch with us in the meantime, remember the email address is probably the best way to do it. It's podcast at onefootball.com. Have a good weekend, everybody, and we'll catch you next time. I love-